Well, universe, how you been? Did you go to church this morning? <laughs> uh, if I were a universe, would I go to church? Or if I were a universe that went to church, what kind of church would I go to? All of them. Uh, universe, how you been? Obviously, I've been up for, how long have I been up? Hard to say. First time I got up, it was in the sunlight, so that had to be after 6. Second time I got up, the dog went out, so that was like 10. Then I got up for good around 10.30 or 11. It's now 1.36. And um, it's Sunday, the 24th. 24th? Hell yeah, it is. 24th of June. June. 24th of April. Man. Uh, I don't know if anybody else does this, but I like to occasionally watch foreign films and see if I can figure out what's going on. Totally like watch Japanese or Chinese movies. Things I completely don't understand. And it's amazing how much, without knowing the language, you can pick up from the other cues that are in the movie. Whether it be music or setting or camera position or... It really doesn't matter. The cues are enormous. And they're the subconscious ones that when you remove language because you have no idea what they're actually saying, you have left to go by. And yet, facial position, particularly in movies, I would imagine, because you can't, I've never immersed myself in a foreign country to see if I could figure out what people were saying, just by the, the uh, inflection of their voice or whatever. But there's that, too. There's everything that you get from the experience of visual context that comes in a movie. And here I am late for work again. I did mean to record this one yesterday, so I am God, like three days behind on everything right now. Except work. I have not been late to work. Although yesterday, when I had to be at work at 10 a.m., one of the few not 6 a.m. shifts I've had, I clocked in at 10.06, which was one minute away. Well, I could have clocked in at 10.07, but that would have been it. Anything else after that was late. So I was two minutes away from being late at the most. And uh, at the least, I don't even know. Too high to figure that one out. Doesn't matter. I was still on time. So I can say thus far, other than one complete error of misreading the schedule and thus showing up on the wrong day, which was a day late, but being completely forgiven for a schedule mishap and not held accountable for that and still showing up on time for that shift. <laughs> so, yes, I've misread the schedule, so thus I have been one day late to one shift. Um, I haven't been late to work this entire year. And here we are, it's April 24th. I don't think in the history of my working career, on April 24th, I could have said with truth, I have not been late to a single shift this year, aside from a schedule mishap. So, 
I have to give myself a little bit of chocolate milk reward because I'm actually proud of that. Especially when you throw in the fact that when I started this journey, I was less than a block away from work and now I'm biking to work in 22 degree weather. Yeah, that's the kind of shit I used to not put up with because while I might have shown up at 618 because eventually I'm like, fuck, I got to go to work. I would have given myself every excuse to figure out how to call in sick. But at 554, when I had to be there at six and I still hadn't called in sick, well, I would have usually just pushed myself on to work and hope for the best. And fuck them if they fire me. Whatever. Not that big a deal. There are many jobs to get. But after chasing down many jobs and finding many jobs to get, yeah, but many jobs to get that are worth a shit, no. And many jobs that you can actually show up with a feeling of not wanting to kill yourself. <laughs> well, there aren't many of those either, it seems like. So when you finally found one that... While the line of tolerability may only be the line of tolerability, it is there. And for me, believe it or not, that might be all I got. And since that might be all I got, well, this time I'm treating it with the respect it deserves. And that respect means I work my ass off when I'm there. I don't expect anybody to work their ass off while they're there. And I show up on time. If I can just be okay with those three concepts, uh, it seems to work out. And right now, that has been a piece of cake. Well, no, obviously getting to work on time when you show up at 10.06 and 10.08 is late. That is hardly a piece of cake. And I got to tell you, the reason that I was late is because, I'll admit, I left at, uh, it was 9.43, I looked at my phone as I put it in my pocket and pulled out of the alley. I'm doing that every time now because it gives me a chance to see how long it takes me to get to work specifically so that I can gauge that I'll be on time. And the one other time I had left this late, I had gotten there at two minutes after. And there was one other time I had left at 544 and gotten there at six o'clock on the dot. So that's the fastest I've ever gotten to work. 16 minutes. The slowest I've ever gotten to work turned out to be Saturday, yesterday. When I left at 9.43 and I clocked in at 10.06. So that extends my time riding to work to 23 minutes, possibly. Which is irritating because that means I now really have to leave at 9.35. That's the true barometer of me getting to work on time. And I've been trying to figure this out because... If that is it, what that means is that there's a variance of, say, 10 minutes. So I could be showing up at work at 5.50. And the Dunkin' Donuts down the street doesn't open until 6. Which is one of the reasons that I've always been showing up right on time for this particular 6 a.m. shift. is because there's nowhere to go for 10 minutes before work. And yet... The last time I was early, I noticed, and I was early because I had left early and I was trying a different route, and I, it doesn't matter. I was up and had the energy to leave early, and as I rode past Dunkin' Donuts, going a different way in, oh, is it Dunkin' Donuts? No, it's Winchell's Donuts, sorry, whatever, it doesn't matter. 
There is a Dunkin' Donuts on the way, huh? Well, it's like probably eight minutes to, to six. And I notice a guy in a red truck going in the front door. And I also notice a guy at the counter getting helped. And I'm thinking, oh, well, if Dunkin' Donuts is available. So now my next goal, because I work tomorrow at 6 a.m., and then I don't work Tuesday or Wednesday. So basically, I have this four-hour shift in the middle of this week and uh, extension of, well, four days off if I pretend tomorrow is going to help my brother move his furniture and I have to meet him at 6 a.m. You know, then I got four days off, but that happens to be that one shitty task I'm doing during my four-day weekend. Well, that's kind of what work is tomorrow. But on the way, since I'll be plenty well-rested, I'm going to leave at 535 I assume it won't take me 23 minutes to get there because the reason I was so close to being late is how much wind there was in my face as I rode to work. <laughs> so much so that at one point on the hill, the biggest hill of all, I decided to just put get off my bike and jog up the hill. I knew I was close to the clock. I didn't have much time and I was actually pretty close to work. But this last hill if you take the route I took, is severe. And I did it this way because I thought if I'm going to face all this wind, I need to face it almost all at once. And I couldn't keep getting blown back. I almost got blown off my bicycle at one point. And I'd never experienced that. It was spooky enough that I gripped hard. I mean, it was, I'd never ridden in so much wind. And so when I got there at 10.06, I had worked harder to get to work than I had ever ridden ever because I sprinted basically into the wind the entire way. Uh, so that's a 23 minute ride to work. I guess I'd never expect that again. But if I get that and I've left at 9.35, well, I still may show up sweaty as, as, a, as I could be, but I'll have gotten there on time. And for all the other opportunities, if that Winchell's Donuts is in fact open, I'll tell you what, they make one hell of a blueberry fritter. Pineapple one's pretty good too. And if you're tired of those two, well, yeah, you can try the apple one. But the blueberry one is divine. So, hello, Winchells. Hopefully that early AM, maybe you do open at 5.30. Maybe you open at 5.45 for the guys you like. I'll be sure to give you a tip. Here's the thing. No matter what, the ways that I was always thinking life was being onerous... Oh my God, I have to be at work at 6 a.m. That's such bullshit. What I think many a time. Any other time I had a job that started at 6 a.m., including this one, previously. Well, something out there has to be working to your advantage if you're willing to be up at that time. One of which is obviously seeing sunrises. Seeing sunrises is awesome. And seeing them because you're up and alert, not because you stayed up all night, is even awesomer. Although staying up all night to see them isn't the worst. At some point, you're going to get some sleep, and it's going to be in some daylight, and you're going to feel bad about that. So it does come with that downside. But seeing them because you got up before the sun rose, well, when that sun is up and the day's getting warmer and it's now 9 o'clock and activity is at its peak, well, you're the one who was up before it all started. And there's a, a peace of mind that comes with amplifying your activity level as the entire community is amplifying its activity level. It's a good rhythm to be in. And 
here in episode 42. I thought it was finally time, and this is contrived as, as, it, as it gets. But I knew this one was coming, and I certainly make no apologies for singling out my first, well, not my first favorite author. My first favorite author was Stephen King, if I'm being honest. I loved Stephen King as a kid. I read all his books by the time I was a 7th grader. And from then on, I read every one that ever came out. Until, oh, I don't know, somewhere in my late 20s, I guess I stopped keeping up with Stephen King. But I was a fan. He wrote the kind of books that worked for me. I mean, I was a fan of horror books, sure. And when he wrote things like Dolores Claiborne or... Uh, um, what was the, uh, um, oh, there was another good, not, uh, it doesn't matter now, doesn't matter, but a book like Misery, Misery was such a scary book <laughs> to me, and so was Cujo, I think I read Cujo at a young age, I think Cujo must have been in like sixth or seventh grade, because Cujo kept me up all night till I finished it, I was that scared reading it. And Misery is the other one that I had to finish because I was too scared to put it down. And I know I got super scared in Salem's Lot. I got super scared reading The Shining. I mean, those books frightened me. <laughs> and yet I loved them. I loved them. Even the, the, you know, crappy writing in some of them. I could recognize that there was some mediocrity but you can't argue with the volume and the the and volume such an unfair word because Stephen King can completely create a universe of of unique interesting characters around one idea thinner and Different Seasons was one of my favorite books for a long time. And I wish The Lawnmower Man had had a fairer shake. And maybe it will. And I, and I still like the Pierce Brosnan movie. It's campy as hell, but whatever. It has its place. So, Stephen King was number one. But he wasn't ever the kind of author I knew I'd have to own his books. <clears throat> Unlike, say, Douglas Adams. And 42, 42 is actually a tattoo on if I was going to go back in time and figure out the one relationship that I should make work. Well, Nicole had a tattoo of 42 right on her wrist. Couldn't miss it. Because Douglas Adams, well, he's the kind of guy that when you run into him, you realize how much you need him. Because he takes the most absurd world's premise and somehow makes it all okay. Hang on. Sorry, I just want to blow my nose. Um, he makes it all okay. He doesn't just make it all okay. He gives you 
mm, a way to silence the uh, voice that tells you uh, you're all alone. Man, I do not know why I'm getting so weepy. I really don't. I have no idea. Um, it might be Nicole, I guess. But... <sighs> when I was in 8th grade, we were given an assignment. And this is... If I remember right, this might have been the final assignment. Or if not, there was one more assignment. There were two huge assignments in 8th grade. And what's funny is, in my school structure, you went to... K through 6, then you took 7th and 8th grade as middle school, then you went through 9 through 12 as high school. And the 8th grade English program was something that you kind of knew about in 6th grade because you knew there was a, an, an advertising element to it because you got to play advertising agency, which you did. And I can't remember if that was the last thing we did in 8th grade, and it might have been because it... And it probably was. I even still to this day remember the team I was on, the product we came up with. I remember it all. It was it was the kind of thing that we were anticipating since sixth grade, and it lived up to the hype. The other thing that you knew about eighth grade was there was a two-week reading um, intense uh, book report um, that you had to read four books in two weeks to get an A. And you had to pledge that you would read those four books in two weeks to get that A. And if you failed, well, then you got a C if you read three books and you got an F if you didn't. You could pledge to read three books and that would get you a B. But if you didn't read your three books and you only read two you got a C, and if you didn't read two, you got an F. You could pledge to read two books and get a C, and if you didn't read two but you read one, you would get a D, and if you didn't read any, you failed. You could also pledge to read one and get a C, and if you didn't read one, you got an F. Or... You could straight up pledge to read zero and get a D and you didn't have to do anything. But that meant you took a D for a quarter of your second semester grade. And I think if I remember right, that meant you had to get 100% on everything else to get an A minus in the class. And you would just barely get an A minus. Like, I don't remember how the math worked out, but it was, in other words, if you took the D, you were essentially saying that a B in the class is the best you could get. And so the pressure was up until that point, we'd been doing book reports in the class. <clears throat> At first we did uh, in January, we probably did uh, one, two a month, probably in February too. But then we had been doing one a week and we've been reading books like uh, Huckleberry Finn and uh, what else did we read that year? Um, geez. Oh, uh, um, we read uh, Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court. Um, <laughs> we read, well, it's a fine book. 
but it's a actually it's a perfect book for eighth grade. We read um, uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate. No, not Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. We read James and the Giant Peach. Um, anyway, those are the books we were reading, and <clears throat> so. When we were reading one a week, we weren't reading very long books. I'm trying to think of the one that specifically... Oh, uh, it was uh, uh, Steinbeck's... Uh, wait, who wrote Who wrote The Old Man and the Sea? Is that Hemingway? Steinbeck? Steinbeck? Hemingway wrote... Oh, fuck. Hemingway... Steinbeck... Uh, the Old Man and the Sea. John Steinbeck. It has to be, right? Oh my God, I'm embarrassed. I'm not even going to look it up. I'll go with Steinbeck for... No, I'm going to take the 50-50. Oh, you left me Steinbeck and Hemingway? <sighs> I mean, Christ, everybody knew it wasn't Stephen King. Douglas Adams. But... The Old Man in the Sea. Ernest Hemingway. Okay, final answer, Ernest Hemingway. When, when this assignment comes around... You've basically been anticipating it for two years of your academic life. And you're, you've, I've never read, I had, at this point, I'd probably read four books in two weeks in the summer somewhere. And sure, in fact, I'm sure of it. But the, the books in this, in, in this contest qualify only if you've never read them. They're over 100 pages, there's no pictures, and she gets to uh, see any book she doesn't recognize from the title and author offhand. So you don't get to just, say, read some uh, some uh, large print version of uh, Jack and Joe went up the hill and call it a 100-page book. And when I pledged to read the four books, because why am I not going to pledge to get an A? Um, I'm excited because I had just recently received the trilogy of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And I had started the first book a while ago, but I don't remember if I had to turn it in or it was a it was a gift that somebody took back. Or I mean, in other words, it was a book that, say, my grandma had in the house and I started reading it and then she left. But I had seen and started The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but had never finished it and had never even really gotten into it. I think I was too young when I picked it up. And uh, so when I got the trilogy, it was it was uh, I was excited but I was a reader at the time, so it was just in the list of things that were next on my list. But that didn't mean I was getting around to it anytime soon. So when this assignment came around, I thought, perfect. Not only do I get to read it, I get to read it for school. And yet, my teacher had heard of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but she didn't know anything about the other two. So she wanted to see the book. And so I brought in my trilogy, and that was fine. And then I, and so it got approved. And then I was going to read that, uh, oh God, what was that woman's name? The, the author who did the Dragons of Pern. Uh, Dragon Quest. The Dragon Riders of Pern. Uh, Dragon Quest, Dragon something, and the White Dragon. Dragon Quest, Dragon Time maybe? Whatever the first one is, that's the other book I read. And, um, and to be honest... I had to finish that book the night before my book reports to her. Um, and I didn't get all the way through it. I like skimmed the last hundred pages. And the reason is because I loved reading the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy books so much 
that I couldn't put them down and I couldn't stop rereading my favorite parts. Like I almost sabotaged my own getting a, an A because I finished these books in the first week. If I mean, these were not hard reads. And honestly, the Dragon Quest book is terrible. Well, it's not terrible, but there's a whole lot of, of exposition, for especially for an eighth grader. Um, that was just felt like like trudging through mud after reading this. And so it took me so much longer to read that one book than it took me to read these three. And, <laughs> uh, and I've never ever, well, I've, I've actually never read, uh, and another thing. And there's a re well, the reason I've never read another thing. And I did read mostly harmless when it came out and it was, and it was fine. It's, it, it I should, I owe Mostly Harmless especially a reread, but I owe, owe the whole series a reread and I and I knew I was going to reread the whole series at some point and that's why I haven't read and another thing because I wanted to have the sixth book to read at that time. And I've read the first Dirk's book, but I've never read the second one. Um, so it's not like I have all of Douglas Adams' books memorized. No. But much like I was speaking of how... Bloom, well, Bloom County is another example of this, actually. But how the far... <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going to take a bong hit. Much like Calvin and Hobbes, and a little less like the far side or Bloom County. Um, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and Douglas Adams' voice came to me at the right time. I was a fan of British comedy as a kid. I loved Monty Python. Still do. Absolutely fabulous. Seen them all. Would I consider it the top 10 in comedy series of all time? No, but it's in the top 20. Um, and no, because it's hard to put it above stuff like I Love Lucy, honestly. Um, and some others. that. But it's, in, it's, it's fantastic. And I, and I gobbled it up as a kid and as a teenager um, and into my twenties, that series persisted like the Brits are prone to do in a smart way. And hell, even Benny Hill had its influence. But if you tie all that up into one package, no disrespect to any of them, particularly the Cleese crew, you kind of get Douglas Adams. And it's, it's like he, he makes you feel like being lost in the universe. It's the right place to be. Well, that's not true. But uh, until you figure that out, well, you do need a voice. You need something to resonate that doesn't make you feel so isolated, so unsure, so out of it. And he's a good, oh, good leveling agent for that. And when I think about all this emotion this is stirring up, I have to admit that 
<laughs> the girl with the 42 tattoo definitely understood. How much I felt both damaged and heroic simultaneously. How I felt both Machiavellian and angelic simultaneously. She truly. <sighs> Seem to understand that side of me. At least in a way nobody else did. But she also was maybe the only person I truly opened up to in that way. And I got burrowed into with other close relationships, but I just didn't have that mutual understanding to feel like I didn't have to at least guard up something about myself. But not with... The girl with the 42 tattoo. And I never understood how precious that was. To be understood. Well. It seems like. Douglas Adams. Somehow. Was put here to help. The misunderstood better understand themselves. So going forward on the 42nd episode, I plan not on crying. Well, no guarantee. I literally never know what's going to make me emotional. But uh, I plan on being a little more uh, recognizing. I plan to throw more recognition toward some of the influences in my life other than people and the 42nd episode specifically, I want to speak to an author or a book that has retained purpose and value across my lifetime. There are many of them. And I don't know that I'll get to all of them. I certainly don't think I can. But... Douglas Adams' series of books. I literally am excited to read for the at least fifth time as a series, and in some cases, first time as a book. And I have little gifts to myself similar to this from my mom and other parts of life that I've been holding on to for the right time. And I now think would be a good time to revisit
someone. Who I think of as a lifelong friend. I'm sorry. It's time to stop this one.